Thank you, Sam. And just to be clear, um, we have a number of new members. Uh, I think last week we were introduced to a number of those. Some of you may be interested in that missions committee, but you weren't quite sure who Kim was. Kim, could you maybe stand and give us a little Yahoo? There. Um, see her if you'd like to come to that lunch on the missions committee. Um, we would love to have, as Sam said, new people serving and serving in that capacity. For our pastoral prayer this morning, I have not one but two passages. I'm going to consider it a bonus passage for Mother's Day. So, happy Mother's Day uh, to all you moms. Uh, the sermon this morning is, is not going to be about Mother's Day, uh, but the pastoral prayer certainly will be. So, on behalf of every son and daughter, to every mom out there, thank you for what you have done, uh, for every diaper changed, for every sandwich made, for every trip to and from school and sports practices and arts and theater productions. And our dads do that too. We'll thank them in June. But, but moms, your role is so central as it's revealed in Scripture, uh, central to the heart of God and nurturing little ones. So thank you. We hope that you have a great lunch today, great time with family or talking on the phone or, or whatever it is. But sons and daughters and grandchildren, be sure to thank your moms today. Our two passages this morning, the first to pray for the whole community is Isaiah 29 verse 13. And then to echo our sermon, I'll also read Micah 6, 8. The Lord says, these people, and he's speaking of Israel, the people of Jerusalem. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray that that would become more and more true of us. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, that would be our prayer for one another this morning. We do not want to be the typical people whose mouths are quick to speak of spiritual things, and yet whose hearts are numb and dead to the living God. And so, Lord, would you work that life in us? Would you encourage our weary hearts? Would you teach us true things? But, Lord, would you enliven us, bring life into our dead hearts, Bring energy to our tired hearts, that we would have more than lip service, that we might have true heart service, that Greenwood Presbyterian Church would be a people whose character is known for being more and more like you, Lord. May we walk in greater justice and mercy and humility in all the things that we do that make up our week. Lord, we thank you for our mothers, the mothers in this church, mothers outside of this church, 
Uh, Our culture chooses to emphasize them on this day, but we know your word emphasizes them truly for that noble task to which they've been called and that they so faithfully serve and give. So, Lord, would you encourage moms today, our Christian moms who are seeking to bear children for the Lord. And so, Lord, do that in them, we ask and we pray. We do pray, Lord, for our missions committee and its effort to grow and for its ministry to Greenwood and beyond and around the globe. We think to pray for our missionaries in service. Would you encourage them that they might know that they are lifted up, that their work is not in vain? Would you bear much fruit through their labors? And Lord, for all the things that we do that make up the ministry of Greenwood Presbyterian Church, would would you bless those things? Would you bless our service? Would you bless our evangelism? Would you bless our teaching, our reaching, our nurturing, our seeking to equip our people to be the church in the world? And Lord, most importantly, would we be a people who bear fruit, even much fruit that honors you in the way that we live? And we ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been echoing for weeks, and and I'm one who doesn't like to feel like he's repeating himself, but when you teach a series and you have to recap each week, you can feel like you're constantly repeating yourself. But there may be someone who's walking in for the first time this morning, or maybe you've missed a few weeks. And so for a brief recap, I'll say we've been looking to the Scriptures to see what the church should prioritize and emphasize I call it a series on nuts and bolts, that which holds everything together. You don't want loose nuts and bolts falling apart and the church being unfaithful in its mission and its purpose. And so we've been looking in recent weeks at the kind of fruit that God would call his people to bear. These would be the things we want to be true of us, of every one of us who's a member at GPC. Things about worship, that we want to be a worshiping people. We want to practice evangelism and support missions. We want to be a praying people. We want to be a people of fellowship and community who practice hospitality. And we want to be a generous people who give and who serve. And last week, we talked about how the, we want to be a people who view God's world through God's Word, that we have a biblical world and life view and all the categories that make up the complexities of the world in which we live. And this morning, I think this will be the last fruit that I'm going to emphasize. And it's a catch-all phrase, and I'm going to call it Christ-like character. So we would want to be a people whose character is being transformed our little ones, that they would have Christ-like character, our older ones, and everyone in between, that we would genuinely be a people growing in Christ-like character. And so that fruit is our topic this morning. And our passage, one of our passages, is Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26. Give your attention to God's Word. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, 
jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's pray that God might give us eyes to understand His Word. Lord, would you open our blind eyes and would you soften these stubborn hearts? Would you unstop our ears? Would you slow us down internally and in our minds just enough for a few minutes to rightly consider your word? We ask and pray your spirit to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. To share toys... And to play well with others. To say yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and no ma'am. To learn to chew with a closed mouth. To make your bed every morning. To put your dirty clothes in the dirty clothes hamper. To be a good sport win or lose after the game, on the bus, on the ride home. I suppose these are all things many of us could apologize to our mothers for this morning, whether we're children or husbands. Things that we've not done sufficiently. Some would say, some people would say, some people would say, that these things I just itemized are the seeds of good character. Some people would say that. Are they? Is that good character? Is character learned? Is character contagious? Is it impressionable? Is it in our DNA? Is it the result of our behavior modification? Is that what character is? Or ultimately, is character the overflow of a fruitful heart, fruit that has been produced by the Holy Spirit? Okay, you see my conclusion there, carefully worded in. All these wonderful things that we want to be true of our children. To learn to chew with your mouth closed, being one important one, right? Those are good little uh, manners and good disciplines, but that's not the kind of character that the Bible's talking about. And oftentimes, I've said this several times, uh, we can share a vocabulary with the world and have very different meanings. 
Our world will talk about character. Our schools, our elementary schools that my children have gone to, they will give good citizenship awards and good character awards. And those things oftentimes are very similar to the attributes that we've read in Galatians chapter 5. But I really want to make that distinction this morning. We're not talking about that kind of character as the world would define it. We're talking about a heart change, a character change that only the Holy Spirit can produce. So yes, we do want to learn to chew with our mouth closed, and we do want to put our dirty clothes in the hamper. But beyond that, this morning, we're going to look at the kind of character the kind of hearts that God wants every one of us to have if we're going to represent Him and His church. So first, I only have three points this morning. And the first is this. What is character? If it's not those things, what is it? The dictionary defines it this way. Character are the mental attributes and moral qualities that distinguish a person. So the mental attributes, how they think the moral qualities, what they do. So the dictionary would say that the heart of character is your thinking and your doing. I think there's truth to that, right? What drives your thinking leads to your doing. Legendary UCLA basketball coach has a now very popular definition of character, and he says it this way. The truest test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching, right? And you've heard that before. It's been translated a little differently to say um, character is who you are when nobody's looking, right? You've probably heard that definition. I think that's very true. Um, In many ways, that reveals and exposes who we really are when, when nobody's looking, right? So character, oh, those are helpful definitions, Uh, But let's look a little bit more at what the scriptures would say about character and ultimately the kind of character that God wants each of us to have. So what are the kinds of character that a person can have? Well, they can have bad character. And I would argue and the Bible would say that every one of us was born with bad character. Now, I know that may sound alarming to some because you were born a great, sweet little baby and continue to be, right? But your character, as the Bible would speak of it, your heart actually was not born neutral. It was not born good. It was born in sin. It was even conceived in sin. So there's a sense in which every one of us is a person of bad character. Just being honest. That in our heart, there is bad character. And as the scripture in our reflection revealed, bad company can even corrupt good character. So our company does matter. And in that way, you could say character is impressionable. Our hearts are impressionable. A statistic I came across in an article this week said this. If you need any convincing about the human heart. says this. 71% of people believe that we are basically good. That we're basically good people. So 71%, according to that survey, believes that we're good people. 24% of school children, as young as kindergarten, admit to lying, cheating, and stealing. How about that? 24% will admit it. What about the other percent? Well, they just won't admit it, right? 
90% of middle schoolers admit to copying and plagiarizing. Middle school teachers are shocked right now, right? That 90% of students would say, yeah, I cut the corners, I cheat, I plagiarize, I copy and paste to get the work done. That is who we are. Um, it's just an honest reflection that the human heart is a sinful heart. And it affects our character, it, it affects who we are. And so having bad character is a characteristic of the Bible. There are multiple examples of this in Scripture. And you in your own mind could race through characters. Characters like Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob, a patriarch of Israel, an instrument in the hands of God, a part of redemptive history and the redemptive story, whose very name means what? Deceiver. He's the heel grasper who seeks to trip up his brother. From the very beginning, in God's economy, he had use for bad characters because we'll see that he can redeem character. You could even think of David, King David, known in Scripture as the man after God's own heart, right? And yet we can read in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that this man after God's own heart is a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. His character is an issue. And he's a man after God's own heart, king of Israel. And then even in the New Testament, of the twelve, we were reminded in Sunday school this morning, Judas, who was one of the twelve closest to Jesus, who benefited from hearing and knowing Jesus himself. But in God's providence and in God's eternal will, his heart would harden, Satan would enter him, and he would have no place in the kingdom. Can you identify with the fact that we have a long line, and we are part of a long line of people who have sinful hearts and bad character? It's in every one of us. Every one of us chews with our mouth open, so to speak. And it's just true. But there's good character too. And the Bible applauds good character. And our culture certainly pushes us to aspire to what it would call good character. Character that can be learned character that can be disciplined, character that can be forced, character that can be worked for, and of course, character that can be genuine. A friend of mine went to the Citadel. Some of you went to the Citadel. And years ago, my friend told me the motto of the Citadel, actually the honor code of the Citadel, and I've always loved it. It sounds so citadelish when you hear it, but it is this. The honor code of a student at the Citadel, a cadet, is we do not lie, cheat, steal, nor tolerate those who do. That's, that's a claim of character. That's aspiration for good character, for high character. And our world is for that in many ways. And so we're surrounded by bad character. We're called to aspire for good character, and yet the scriptures are speaking about something differently, a, a third category. The Proverbs are given to us, and they largely speak of the heart and of character, right? Our youth just completed a series a few weeks ago on themes from Proverbs, and those were wisdom and discipline issues. 
as the writer of Proverbs, speaking to children, tells us to aspire for wisdom and discipline. And those are character issues. So it is good, and our world is right when it says we should aspire for good character. But ultimately, the Scriptures are about a redeemed character and a character that the Holy Spirit produces in us, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we've been redeemed for if we're a part of Christ's church. Listen again to Galatians chapter 5, just 22 to 24 this time. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So this passage in Galatians 5 is, is given to us in a way, it's, it says basically, don't be like this, be like this. Don't have the fruit of the flesh, but have the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you know a book um, and a series that's come out. It's called Eat This, Not That, right? It's a, it's a, it's a book. I actually haven't had it. I haven't seen it. I've been told about it by a friend. But it'll, it'll say, okay, when you go to the grocery store, if you're, if you're going to keep to a healthy diet, um, eat this instead of that, and it will help you make choices, right? There's a sense in which that's how this passage is, is presented. Don't be like this, but be like that. Now, here's the great um, potential for error this morning. Um, if you're listening halfway, you could think that I'm telling you what, what would be called a killer bee sermon. You know, the killer bee sermon. Brian Chappell used to talk about this years ago when I was in seminary. He was my preaching professor, one of them. A killer bee sermon is when the people only hear the pastor say something like, now go be this, go do this, chop, chop, you can do it. It's moralism, right? Right? Well, the Scriptures are very clearly calling us to be something and to do something. But this morning, you have to see this passage in Galatians 5 as what we are aspiring to be. And I can best describe it as a verbal portrait of the Lord Jesus Himself. It is a verbal description of none other than Jesus Himself. Listen to it again through that lens. Not the lens of yourself, but the lens of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So it's not a killer bee sermon. It's a story of Jesus and the kind of character that only He has, but that He's calling us to be transformed more and more into some of you have seen the movie uh, with um, Bill Murray called Groundhog Day where he's trying to convince a, a girl to fall in love with him. 
And he says, tell me about your ideal man. Tell me about the man that you think you could love. And she describes him, the attributes of him. And he honestly is sitting there, as she says, item by item by item by item. And he says out loud as a response, me, me, me again, that's me. Trying to convince her that I'm the guy, I'm the one that you're looking for. And so we err a second way when we read this passage. And we think, me, that's me again. I do that well too. Okay, so see, we could err in any number of ways. But the honest response to this passage is, whew, not me this week, not me last week. Going to try to do better on that this week. A little bit more loving, a little more joyful, a little more patient with people, a little bit more kind, a little bit more gentle, right? But, ooh, did I fail this week. That's the honest use of this passage as a mirror. It shows us who we are and all of our shortcomings. And it shows us who Jesus is and exactly who he would need to be to be the Savior of our sins. Another way this passage could go wrong for us this morning, first is the killer bee, second is the thinking, it's me, it's me, it's me, I do it right. But the third way is to start looking at each other through this lens and becoming fruit police. Matter of fact, we're going to pass out cards this morning so that you can start evaluating each other on the fruit of the Spirit, and then each Sunday we'll report how you think other people are doing, right? Wouldn't that be a disaster? Now, there is a place in Christian friendship and accountability in ministry to be able to talk to one another. Um, But, boy, you've got to have some chips before you cash them in. But to be able to say, hey, I saw you talking to your son, and I think you may have crushed him, and you may have needed to be more loving and gentle and patient. See, brothers can do that to each other. Sisters can do that to each other when enough chips have been earned to cash those in. In the same way, um, if you were riding around town and somebody uh, passed you from the church and they stopped at the stoplight and you noticed that they had a brake light out, it would be a friendly and, and loving thing when you saw them to say, hey, Audrey Adams, your right brake light is out on your car. I saw it yesterday. Uh, or to say, um, JR, you have a chip in your windshield and it's going to run and crack. You may want to change that. See, we can tell each other things like that and it'd be helpful, right? But to be able to start talking about fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in one another's lives, we've got to have some honest chips, some respect and credibility to speak to one another in love. So be careful about being fruit police in the lives of others. Exercise great wisdom and caution. Don't look to this passage as, hey, I've got it all together. And don't just hear moralism this morning. Hear that Jesus is our only hope as he changes us and makes us to be like him. So what is the kind of fruit? What is it that God is calling us to become more and more like. Uh, Three quick things about this. The first thing that I think is important for us, if we're going to apply this passage to our lives, is to understand that this is understood to be a singular fruit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Which is to say, don't think, okay, this one matters. Don't have that one We're to see it as a singular work of fruit that should be growing in every one of us. 
And that's a part of the challenge. It is a singular fruit. We're not to have one. We're not to have some. We're to have all. And that's where every one of us is on the hook, right? We might be kind and gentle and like to avoid arguments, but lack self-control or vice versa. And so it's a singular fruit. So when we read this, we should say, okay, as a whole, every part of this should be reflective more and more in the character that God is working in me. And when you see it as a singular fruit, you're probably going to be less inclined to just say, oh, well, that's who I am. You know, I'm, I, just, I come from a long line of people that uh, inspect fruit in other people. And so I'm just going to tell you how I feel. Um, so, see, we can let ourselves off the hook. But when you see the fruit as all-encompassing, that whole nature is supposed to be who I am becoming more and more, then we see that we're restrained even more in our pride. Secondly, a second aspect of the fruit for us to consider this morning is to note that distinct line that Paul draws between the kinds of behavior. In verses 19 through 26, he draws a line between that fruit of the flesh, we'll call it, sinful fruit, and the fruit of the Spirit, that which the Holy Spirit is working in people. He says we're not any longer to bear that fruit of the flesh. And one of the things that he says is true of the fruit of the flesh, out of all the things, he says it produces factions and divisions. And so if we lack the fruit of the Spirit, there can be factions and divisions within the people. And he says that's of the flesh. It's not of the Spirit. And so we need to consider our own hearts. Do we have this singular fruit? Or are we given to being fruit police in other people's lives? which leads to factions and division. We're to have the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. Maybe it would be helpful to consider for a moment the opposite, the counter fruit. So to hear this passage in the reverse, a bizarro twist on the passage, the fruit of the flesh would look like this. Hate, misery, conflict, impatience, meanness, badness, total loss of self-control. That would be the fruit of the flesh. And in our own hearts and in our own lives, we can see evidence of the fruit of the flesh all around us. There's a lot of meanness. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of badness. There's a lot of lack of self-control. That's the fruit of the flesh. But the contrary fruit of the Spirit You've heard it, hear it one more time. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the characteristics that should become more and more true of every one of us. And at Greenwood Presbyterian Church, if you've heard anything this morning, I hope it's this. We are quick to admit we fail. We fail to rightly bear that fruit, every one of us, as we should. But we lift up the Lord Jesus, who himself is the one who bears that fruit rightly. 
who modeled, who demonstrated the perfection of that fruit in his own life. So we look to him and we worship him and we give thanks to him because our fruit fails. His fruit does not. And then thirdly and lastly, the Scriptures make it clear that there is a divine empowerment that God gives that we might grow and change that we might bear that fruit more and more throughout our Christian lives. That is a power of the Holy Spirit that only God can give. And it enables us to become less worldly, less fleshly, and less self-oriented. Which is to say, none of us is given over to being dominated by sin. If in Christ, the Holy Spirit really does empower to work heart change, which leads to character change to bearing fruit for Him. He gives a power for us to become more Christ-like. That is to say, to become more like God Himself, more like Yahweh Himself, in His mercy and His kindness, in His gentleness, and in His goodness. And so at GPC, we really do want to emphasize our dependence on the Holy Spirit and God's distribution of it by His mercy that our young ones would have Christ-like character that our middle-aged ones would have Christ-like character, that our old ones would have Christ-like character. That has to be our aspiration because it's what God has given us to aspire for in Christ. Two closing thoughts. Well, how does character actually change? Can you manufacture this change in any way? Where does God tend to work this change in us? Well, here's a hard but true word that you already heard this morning. Hear it again from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Paul says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You, you heard the news there. It's through suffering, which leads to perseverance, which leads to character. So it is true, and you know from your own experience, that your character, the good character in you, has been shaped through hardship, through rejection, through disappointment through failure, through tripping over your own two feet, through embarrassment, through suffering for your faith and persecution. Oftentimes, not every time, oftentimes it is those miserable seeming things that God uses to humble us and to begin to shape our character. Right? You know that to be true. It's the hard times that shape us. And God and His economy, it's no different. He uses those things for His good in us. So we want character, but we don't want suffering. But they tend to go hand in hand. Character is often redeemed through suffering. But consider this, my closing thought. God's in this business of calling us to have good character, even demanding it of us. Who is this God that demands character? What's his character like? That's an important question. 
what is the character of our God like that he would speak and call of us to have such character? We heard this passage as well. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now here's the character. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. Here's the character. But because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Do you hear that character? What kind of a God do we serve? He's full of long-suffering mercy, of grace, of love, of kindness. He is a God of mercy. And he's calling us to have a character that's more and more like his. And we are stubborn. And our hearts are stubborn. And we don't want to conform to his standards. But he gives us his spirit to transform us. That our stubborn hearts could become more and more like his. So at Greenwood Presbyterian Church, we're, we're going to have sermons about our character. We're going to have youth group that emphasizes character. Our small group's probably going to emphasize character in some way because we really do want to be a people that are conformed more and more to the character and likeness of our Lord Jesus. May He do that in us and through us for His glory. Let's pray together. Lord, would You always be at work in every one of us in this very way? transforming us from anger and hate, from gossip and slander, from divisions and factions, and transforming us into a people that would wash one another's feet, that would speak well of each other, that would give each other the benefit of the doubt before jumping to hard conclusions, believing the worst of one another. Lord, would you soften us, redeem us, help us to bear this fruit that we might rightly be the church. Oh, Lord, do it. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.